0: Hey guys, this is Sean from nursedose.org and today we're gonna be talking about one of the most underappreciated values in hemodynamics and that's gonna be CVP or central venous pressure. Let's get into it. So what is CVP and what do we use it for? So as I kind of stated in the intro, CVP is central venous pressure, so if you take that name and you kind of just break it down central venous so the venous side of your circulatory system Uh, central so thoracic you know the center part of your body and then the pressure so basically the venous pressure in the centralized area of your body so we're basically talking about venous pressure around your heart and uh so you could Kind of break that down into being the, uh, so even though it's in your heart, the right atrium, right ventricle is still kind of considered venous um, because that is going to be deoxygenated blood um, returning back to the heart. And that's kind of where it is in t- before it gets sent off to the lungs. So the actual definition is it's going to be the pressure in the superior vena cava. However, during diastole, when the heart's not pumping, the pressure in the superior vena cava actually equals the right atrium pressure, which then equals the right ventricular end diastolic pressure, or the pressure that is present in the right ventricle whenever the right ventricle is not actively in systole or pumping. So with this definition in mind, we can determine that CVP can be used as an effective measure to Um, measure the right ventricular filling pressure. And this filling pressure is what a lot of people use to determine uh, fluid status in a patient. And there are a lot of other ways to determine fluid status, but this seems to be one of the easiest ways, especially if the patient already has a central line. But so let's kind of talk about fluid status for a second and right ventricular filling pressure. So if you kind of think about it, the right ventricular filling pressure is the pressure that is present while the right ventricle is filling up with blood so if that pressure is higher you can conclude if everything's normal with you know the patient's heart there's no cardiomyopathy or anything like that you can assume the higher the number the more fluid that is taking up that space because the more fluid in that confined space the higher the pressure is going to go the less fluid in that space the you know the lower the pressure is going to be uh, that's just simple physics right so what we can determine from this is if a patient's central venous pressure or right ventricular filling pressure is higher is a higher number then you can conclude that there's more fluid in that patient's system so this cvp does not take into account the fluid that is present in a patient that is not in the system which would be something like third spacing um, or ascites or something like that so It will not take into account that fluid, but it will take into account the uh, fluid that is present that is actually contributing to blood pressure and uh, perfusion. So with that said, CVP is uh, one of these hemodynamic values that you can't take at face value, and you can't look at it and just observe the absolute number and make a decision based off that. This is one of those values that you kind of have to trend over time to see which way the patient's fluid status is actually moving towards. Is it going up? Is it going down? And then do your interventions from that. Um, There's a lot of ways that the CVP can be made inaccurate as with any pressure or value that is given to you through a transducer. Um, We all know that you can manipulate the uh, pressure of of an arterial line by just moving the uh, transducer up and down. Um, I know a lot of people have done that before to kind of make themselves feel better, but you're kind of just hiding the truth at that point, right? So um, CVP really, it's not incredibly accurate, and we'll kind of get over why that is, but um, just the main thing to take away from this is that you should be taking it as a trend and not the absolute number, uh, just because there are so many factors that can contribute to the determination of the initial CVP. So what is the actual normal range for CVP. And this is something else that kind of is up in the air uh, because there's different effective ranges for different types of patients. Um, But for normal people um, who haven't gone through cardiac surgery or anything like that, normal pressure is between two to eight millimeters of mercury. Um, And I got to say, if you work in a CVICU or any kind of post-surgical ICU, you will probably never see uh, a CVP of two. Um, you'll always kind of see it range uh, in the higher. Um, and that's for several reasons. Uh, but for one reason, with cardiac surgery, what the surgeons actually do before they close up the patient, when they're done with everything, when they're done with the cabbage, when they're done with you know their root repair or anything like that, what they'll actually do is sit there with a syringe filled with um, saline and kind of pump in um, a determined amount every time of saline and kind of map that with the CVP that they're showing on their line in, in the um, operating room. And so what they're, what they're looking for at that time is to see when the heart responds best to what CVP. So when is the contra- contractility the best? Um, when is the heart actually doing the best cardiac output that it can do at that time. And a lot of times these patients have uh, swans in, so that's kind of how they read that. Um, And so what they'll do is they'll pump in the saline and they'll kind of determine the CVP that the heart functions best at after their surgery. And so one of the things that you kind of want to get if you do work in CVICU, whenever you're landing a patient, you kind of want to talk to the surgeons or the anesthesiologist and be like, hey, so what... CVP is optimal for this patient? What CVP should I kind of aim for for this patient? And if they're a great surgeon, they'll tell you because that is one of the most important things that you want to get when landing a patient like this. Um, I'm not too sure if they do this with uh, surgical patients as well, well, like normal surgical patients, but in my experience with CVICU, this is one of the top things that you want to get from the surgeon before they leave. And so with all that said, how do we actually measure CVP? And the simple truth is that the only way you can measure CVP is if you have a central line. Um, and the reason for that is we are directly measuring the pressure in the, in the superior vena cava. Sometimes it might be the inferior, but I'll get into why that is not as accurate here in a second. Um, but yeah, so you have to have something that is physically in that spot in the superior vena cava and measuring that pressure to actually give you a accurate CVP, because like we said, the superior vena cava is equal to the right atrium pressure, which is equal to the right ventricular end diastolic pressure during diastole. And so, with that, what kind of central line can we actually use to measure these pressures? And to be honest the only real ones that you can use are the ones that originate on the superior aspect of the body so um, a pick line works uh, either double or you can even even do single lumen triple lumen Uh, picks work great Um, then you have your regular like triple lumens coming from an ij um, anything like that and then you can also do your swan and the reason I say the superior aspect of the body is anything that is femoral. Usually, the line isn't long enough to actually reach to the spot where you'd get an effective uh, CVP measurement. Um, if you can, if the line is long enough to where it'll actually reach the inferior vena cava, like right below the atrium, then. You know, It can be accurate, but for the most part, um, a lot of these lines aren't long enough to actually reach there. Now, if you do have a swan that is going through the, um, the femoral, then of course that's going to be accurate um, because that has to be in the same place every time. But I'd just be really careful with measuring CVP from a femoral um, spot just because um, of what I said, it just might not be long enough to reach to where you want it to. And so there's something that you have to be careful with, with um, measuring the CVP. There's specific spots on both swans and regular central lines where you want to plug in the um, actual pressure tubing to get an accurate uh, measurement. So if we just kind of think about what um, a normal central line kind of looks like and the function of it. So it's... It's let's say it's a triple lumen, so you've got three lines going into a central line. And with the central line, you're going to have three holes that are terminating out of that central line you know, the three lumens. So you'll have a proximal, you'll have a medial, and you'll have a distal. And so, where does a regular central line end? Um, So, usually, a regular central line, if you have a triple lumen that's going through like an IJ an internal jugular vein, then it's going to be terminating in the superior vena cava. And that's where we want to measure the pressure. So which lumen is that going to be? It's not going to be the proximal because proximal is going to be closest to where you know your port is. It's not going to be medial because that's not going to be quite to the superior vena cava. It's going to be your distal one because that's like the last part of the line that is actually terminating in the superior vena cava. And so, with that knowledge, you can determine that every time you have a regular central line, be it a pick line, because the pick line should terminate in the same spot, um, you always want to hook up your pressure tubing for the CVP to the distal lumen, and that's usually going to be like the brown port on your um, on your central line. And the the confusing thing is, and I know I haven't talked about Swans really yet, but uh, for Swans, it's kind of the opposite. Um, and it kind of makes sense why. So with a SWAN, your distal lumen is going to be where you're measuring your PA pressures, your pulmonary artery pressures. So where is that line sitting? It's actually sitting in the pulmonary artery, So which is like past the right ventricle. So if that is your distal lumen, your proximal lumen, the one that is closest to the actual ports is going to be sitting in your um, either your right atrium or your uh, superior vena cava. And so this one's kind of easy to remember because most swans will color this lumen blue and most monitors uh, color CVP blue. So you can kind of remember it that way. But just remember uh, with swans, you want to plug it into the proximal and for regular central lines, you want to do it into the distal. So just remember that because... That can make a big difference. You don't want to be putting your CVP onto your PA because it's going to be way different than if you put it onto your proximal where it's supposed to be measured. So knowing what CVP is and how you measure it, um, let's talk about factors that can both increase your CVP and decrease it. So the factors that can increase your CVP, um, so it is a measure of volume. So if you overload your patient with volume, it's going to increase your CVP. Um, And then anything that kind of constricts the heart or puts pressure on your thoracic cavity will also increase your CVP. There was a um, really great demonstration that I saw and kind of did for my unit once where we got a... um, pressure tubing set up and uh, had a lumen at the end you can just do this with like a 20 gauge um, iv and we put this into a balloon that had a specific amount of water in it and um, you can kind of simulate the heart pumping by squeezing the balloon right and you can see the change in the wave if you hook it up to a monitor you can see the change in the wave um, but if you kind of just like hold and squeeze the balloon, the um, CVP or the pressure in that balloon is going to go up. So anything that kind of squeezes the heart like that is going to increase uh, your CVP. So just think about it for a second before I tell you, um, what do you think could actually increase CVP by doing that kind of um, gripping pressure onto the heart? Like what diseases or uh, manifestations can you think of that would cause something like that? And so the main obvious one is going to be cardiac tamponade where uh, there is blood or fluid that uh, develops around the space of the heart that kind of constricts it. And this will be one of the first uh, signs that you will see of um, cardiac tamponade is uh, increasing your CVP. And something else that kind of constricts the heart that you might not think about is going to be PEEP. Um, the number that we use on the ventilator to kind of keep the alveolar spaces open during um, expiration and uh, I know like a normal C- or a normal peep is usually like around five or so but when you start getting up to like 10 12 um, that can really start messing with your um, CVP and whenever I was being oriented to my first job in the ICU um, my preceptor told me that I should subtract the PEEP um, from the CVP to get what my actual CVP is. And um, that, that was a good start, but it's not actually correct. Because um, if you have a PEEP of five and your CVP of is five, you know, you're not going to have a CVP of zero. So what it actually is, and I've looked this up, and this is uh, documented in um, literature, is that you should subtract one third of the PEEP from the CVP. So... Let's say your PEEP is 12, and your CVP is 8. So, uh, one third of 12 is 4, and 4 minus 8 is 4. So, your corrected CVP for a PEEP of 12, when your initial CVP is 8, would be 4. Uh, I hope that makes sense. But um, it's just accounting for you know whenever you have PEEP, it's basically just keeping the lungs inflated during expiration. So. Um, another contract you know like a contraction on your heart that kind of constricts it as well Um, so that's something to keep in mind uh, when you have a high peep your CVP will actually be lower than it is showing on the monitor Uh, something else that can increase your CVP is uh, both right ventricular failure and left ventricular failure so if you think about it you know the left and the right heart are separated by the lungs right but they are still connected So if your, of course, if your right ventricle fails, uh, you're going to have a backup of fluid because you cannot push that fluid forward as effectively as if it wasn't failing, right? So you're going to have an increase in pressure because fluid's backing up. Um, And it's kind of the same thing with your left ventricle failing. So fluid is going to back up into the lungs and then come back and back up into the right ventricle. So this is going to be late left ventricle failure. And then another thing is a shunt. So especially a left to right shunt is going to increase your CVP because you have that fluid coming from the left ventricle going into the right, increasing pressure, um, and then with that, increasing your CVP. Um, And kind of what goes along with your right ventricle failing, left ventricle failing, if you have a decreased contractility, it's kind of the same premise. You cannot push the fluid forward, so you have a backup and... um, That will increase the pressure, as well as increased pressure in your pulmonary system. So you can do COPD, anything like that. Any uh, pulmonary hypertension is going to cause a backup of fluid into the heart, causing increased pressure, increased CVP. And so now for the factors that can decrease your CVP, it's going to be anything that will decrease the fluid status of your patient. And that could be anything from bleeding to third spacing, but then you can also have things like uh, vasodilation that could decrease the amount of preload that is coming back into your heart. Um, and so these are usually shock states, but the more specific shock states are gonna be distributive, which includes anaphylactic and septic shock. Um, now remember, if you have a cardiogenic shock, it's most likely going to increase your CVP just because your cardiac output's not gonna be that high and um, you're going to have a backup of fluid. So with these distributive shocks, um, you're gonna have vasodilation, and uh, just because of the state of the shock, so you know with anaphylactic and septic shock, you're actually gonna vasodilate, um, and your cardiac output's actually gonna be high. Um, So this is actually going to decrease your CVP due to the vasodilation, and um, another key component to these shocks. All right, so that is the basics of CVP. We've talked about uh, what CVP is, the way you set it up, and kind of the interpretation of it and the factors that can go into increasing and decreasing it. However, there is one last thing that you can do with CVP that a lot of people just kind of skip over and don't even really learn. And it's going to be kind of tough to demonstrate this to you um, over a podcast because You kind of need a visual aid to really get everything from this, but we'll kind of just speak on it. Um, This is going to be a very um, introductory uh, thing to this concept, Um, but if you are able to learn this and learn how to interpret it, then it is something that you can really use to your advantage. Um, So this is going to be a waveform interpretation of CVP. So just like an A-line, the CVP does have a waveform and it goes along with the cycles of uh, diastole and systole of the heart. Um, And so we'll just kind of go into it and I'll describe the different waves and descents that are present. But um, for the most part, you're going to have to kind of look at this on your own and get a a visual representation of it. But um, I'll just give you an introduction to it so for the cvp waveform interpretation there are five different phases Uh, so there is the a wave and that's going to be your first little hump and that's going to be um, associated with the right atrial contraction after that you will have a descent into a c hump Uh, or the C wave, which is the tricuspid valve bulging into the right atrium during systole. So whenever the right atrium or the right ventricle is contracting, you're going to have some of that fluid kind of push up into the tricuspid valve and um, bulge into the right atrium, causing an increase of pressure. So that's where you get that little hump there. After that, you're going to have the X descent, and so this is gonna be when the right atrium is relaxing after systole. So, you'll, so during systole, you have the right atrium that kind of fires first, pushes blood into the right ventricle, and then the right ventricle pushes the blood into the uh, pulmonary system. So this X descent is going to be when that right atrium begins to relax, and you're gonna have a decrease in pressure, so you're gonna have a downward slope in your wave. After that, you're going to have your V wave or the V hump, and that's going to be rapid filling of the right atrium. So that's going to be when after the relaxation, that's when the blood's going to be coming right back in to the right atrium from the vena cava. And then after that, you're going to have your Y descent, and that's going to be the early ventricular filling. So a lot of the um, filling of the right ventricle actually is just passive from the right atrium as it's just kind of like falling into the ventricle. That little squeeze at the end does get most of it back into the ventricle, but there is a lot of passive filling, and so that's what the Y descent is going to be. So there's gonna be a decrease in um, fluid in the right atrium just because it is passively going into the right ventricle, and that's going to cause a decrease in pressure um, in that right atrium causing this Y descent. So what can we actually do with this? It's it's nice to know that you can see all these different things with the waveform, but what does it actually translate into? Um, and I'm just going to go over some brief things that you can kind of gather from this. And a lot of it is just going to be um, diagnosing or kind of, you know, interpreting that there's going to be some kind of valve problem. And so if you have an increase in the A wave, now remember the A wave is whenever the right atrium contracts, if you have an increase in that wave, uh, then that is indicative of stenosis of the tricuspid valve or even the pulmonary valve. Um, And this is because there's going to be more pressure to try to get it past those valves. So of course, the pressure is going to back up and then increase that A wave. Um, This also happens with right ventricular failure for the same reason. Um, Fluid's going to be backed up and um, there's going to be more pressure when you are contracting that atrium to get it forward because of that backed up fluid. And if you have tricuspid uh, regurgitation, where the tricuspid valve kind of like goes backwards, um, your C wave and your V wave will actually merge into one. Um, So you won't have an X descent, which is where your right atrium relaxes, because whenever the um, ventricle contracts, it's going to be pushing a lot of that fluid back into the right atrium and kind of just eliminating that um, relaxation phase. Um, So the atrium is basically always going to be filled uh, for the most part. And so you will have a merge of the C and V wave and then a loss of that X descent, And so I know a lot of this is kind of just gibberish at this point. And it might help if you just Google um, CVP waveform interpretation and kind of just look at it while I'm talking about it. And you can kind of like follow along and see like, oh, yeah, that does make sense that this would merge because of this and that. Um, But, yeah, it's it's something where if you can get it down solidly and you can use it in your... um, clinical setting it's very impressive um, another thing is uh, with a waves is you can determine if a patient is in third degree block with it so if um, you have these things that are called canon a waves where the a wave is just ridiculous like it's very pronounced um, it's very indicative of like a third degree block because that right atrium is trying to um, Contract against a closed valve because you know the things aren't in sync. So the atrium is trying to contract when you know the ventricle is uh, contracting. So it leads to this um, desynchrony that causes the pressure to be just absolutely crazy in the right atrium when it tries to push against that right ventricle during systole. But yeah, that's uh, pretty much all I've got on CVP, and um, like I said, it's usually one of the most underappreciated values in hemodynamics, just because it can be a bit inaccurate. There are other more valuable ways of determining fluid status um, that you know are more reliable. Um, And like CVP, a lot of people think that you can just go off that initial number you get. But like I said, you need to use it as a trend. And um, if things are going down, respond adequately. And if it's going up, respond adequately as well. Um, So that's pretty much it. Um, I hope this helps you all with your CVP interpretation. I know the last part was kind of gibberish, but it is something that if you can learn, it's uh, very valuable. Um, Yeah, so that is pretty much it. Uh, One of our future episodes that I'm really excited about, I'm going to get two of my orientees that I've um, taught in the past, and uh, we're going to do a podcast on their experiences uh, with me as their preceptor and (laughs) see what they say. Hopefully it's good stuff, um, but you never know. (laughs) So. Stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, if uh, if y'all aren't already following me on Instagram, uh, please give me a follow. It is at NurseDoseOfficial. Um, I have a website as well. It is at or it is NurseDose.org. I almost forgot it for a second. Um, but yeah, I have some articles on there as well. You can also listen to my how I passed my CCRN episode, and I have the books that I used listed on there. You can order it straight from the website and uh then also if y'all have been following me on instagram you know that i make these pins um for cardiac nursing and um, i recently just did a giveaway for one of them and i actually have a lot more coming here pretty soon and i'm going to put them up for sale on my etsy and um possibly my website but probably just my etsy so if y'all are interested in that keep an eye out and um be sure to follow me on instagram to get updates on that otherwise um uh, Hope this finds you all well and I will talk to you all later. Bye.